not to covet, but to to take care of like to to plant the seeds we have to have to really see this and live out yourself and then so we have to dig in with gifts of God but also um, plant that corn seed to plant the seed that will that will take root and produce an abundant extended harvest and Lord I just pray for Omar and his teachers I pray for his heart and his teaching and his words that they would overflow to our congregation Amen. Amen. Thank you, Layla. Thank you so much, and thank you, everyone, for joining us on this Sunday. We have um, eventful Sunday with celebrating the kids and um, just being together as a church family. I want to make sure that you have your Bibles open. If you, again, go to Exodus chapter 20. Just have it there uh, as we look through some of it. We're going to go back into it uh, at different times this morning. But to we're actually finishing our series in the Ten Commandments. We, we spent ten weeks in the Ten Commandments, and I pray that it has blessed you to understand some basic principles of ethics, how Christians are called to live, and how God's commandments are not simply, um, how do I say this, rules to follow, they're actually rhythms for people who live free. And so that's what we've tried to uh, do to, uh, do together, and I'm going to go over that as we start this morning. But, you know, when you think that word covet, and I was thinking when I first came to the Lord, when I heard that word covet, maybe my vocab wasn't that extensive, but I didn't know what covet actually meant. Um, it wasn't until much later on that I began to figure out what coveting was. But I, maybe, maybe that's you, but coveting uh, at its most basic meaning and description means to desire something, to long for something. In Psalm 68, the, the exact same Hebrew word is used to describe the desired dwelling of the Lord. It says this, the mountain which God has desired has been his dwelling. Mount Zion, the temple mount in Jerusalem. That's what he desired for his home, his dwelling to be at the end of the age. In Psalm 19, again, the same word is used to say that the law of the Lord and his judgments are more desirable, okay, than gold. Yes, much than gold. It, 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 to covet something is to desire, to long for something. If I was to ask you this morning, do you have desires? Would the answer be yes or no? It would be, well, yes, of course we have desires. What do you desire? A better job? You desire a, you long for a good marriage that stays together until you die. Uh, another way to say coveting is the word craving. Craving, and, the, and when I was reading the, the Hebrew word, and it says to crave something, it just, maybe it's the foodie in me, right? But uh, this is what I was picturing, right? Three vanilla ice cream scoop and a waffle cone, a gobs of chocolate chip, cookie dough, and fudge flakes covered with dark chocolatey coating. I mean, whatever it is, you keep craving that, right? I mean, you felt that craving um, feel that you, maybe you have for food. Even when it comes to aspects of our emotional appetites, we call them, uh, physical, sexual appetites, because that is sort of what coveting is. That is what it is. It is craving for something else. So the Ten Commandments do not negate that we have natural longings, but it does show us, this is the Tenth Commandment here, in personal ways in which these desires can become corrupt and broken before God. A desire for your neighbor's property relationships, life, and wealth are all ways in which admiration and appreciation turn these beautiful things into corrupt things in our hearts. 
Desires are good, but not when they begin to infringe upon somebody else's things. We become, here's why. Because we become dissatisfied. Because our, our tank of dissatisfaction is, our satisfaction is always empty. We need to fill it and fill it and fill it, which is why you have an iPhone 11 and then you get an iPhone 13 when the specs are pretty much the same thing, right? I mean, okay, maybe, maybe it's just me, but it is the same thing, okay? You live in a two-bedroom house and you want a four-bedroom house. When I hear the stories of my own family saying, we lived in a one-bedroom house and we were totally fine. I'm rebuilding a basement. I'm rebuilding an attic because there's not much space. Right? We have a totally fine car, but we got to get the new one. We have to touch it up. We have a perfectly fine house, but we have to remodel it. The normative pull of your heart and my heart is to ultimately find fulfillment in so many other things other than God. This commandment is pointing, shining the light at your heart and my heart at the fact that we're covetous people. That at the very core, I know that you're saying, I'm a good person. I'm a totally good person. I love people. I share my things. Deep inside of us, there's this covetous nature that God wants to break in us. And so we have to long for something far more eternal and powerful than things. And so here's what the Ten Commandments going to go this morning, okay? The Ten Commandments closes the Decalogue, the law, the, the Ten Commandments, all right, and, and, and instructs covetous people, I just said that's you and me, covetous people, to embrace satisfaction and contentment received through God's freely poured out grace, okay? What God wants to give you is far greater than that thing which can keep you satisfied. The grace and mercy of God by which you're sustained this morning, by which you worship, the songs that you sing, the realities of your prayers, all those things are far more valuable, far more valuable to give you contentment in order to give you contentment than the very things that you say you need to be satisfied. You capture that with me so far where we're going? All right, but before we dive in, before we dive in, let's pick up that call, and then we, no. Okay, before we dive in, uh, let, let's go back to finish off. Let, let's go back before we continue this morning, because the Ten Commandments, all right, were written as a covenant of love and relationship. And I know that I've said this for these last 10 weeks. It's a covenant of love, but it was a covenant of God and his people. It was about love and relationship, and you cannot separate the two. Just as a marriage involves love and relationship, so does a covenant involve love and relationship, right? Uh, no husband loves a wife without, uh, no, no husband marries a wife without loving her. This is how they live. A husband, he loves her, he gets married, and what does he do? He works, takes care of his wife, he's faithful to her, he cares for this family. Now, is he doing that just because he loves her? Well, yes, but that's part of the agreement, right? Husbands, you get this, right? Part of the agreement is that you have to be a man. I, I meet with some brothers sometimes, they say, you know, I work, and I take care of my kids, and I take them to school, and I go, aren't you supposed to do that? I don't know how that's, you know, a pat on the back. That's part of life. But it's part of the unity and relationship that husband and wife have. Husbands serve their wives because it's overflowing from love. So these commandments are an overflow of God's love towards his people, and now they walk in this new way. Here's why I talk about love and relationship as we 
kind of go back about what the Ten Commandments are about. Uh, I recently got involved in, in, in coaching our local soccer team, and it's been a month and a half, and it's a real blessing to connect with different parents and talk to them and, and be there with them. And many of my conversations about faith, as they say, I've said, do you have a relationship with Jesus or do you know God and things like that? And they usually describe me as very religious. That, that's how they describe me. Not as a follower of Jesus, not as a Christian. Oh, he's just very religious. Now, here's what they mean. You know what they mean, right? They mean that I have some beliefs in a God and that I do certain things to please God. And that makes me religious. When I push a little further, some of them have told me, yeah, I go to church too. Actually, I used to go to church when I was six. Or they say, well, um, I used to go to church when I was 15. I used to go to a uh, youth group. I used to go to Garwood Presbyterian Church. Actually, I get that. I actually got some of that. I used to go to church. Or my parents went to church. I mean, it's all about church. It's all about I did. But when it comes to God's people, to believers in Jesus Christ, religion and the idea of doing good has no value whatsoever. Because it speaks nothing of relationship, right? When you do things, it speaks nothing of your heart. You can tell a child to pick up all their clothes they want, but if they're kicking and screaming, you know their heart's not changed, right? See, this is why the Lord begins these commandments. They're, they're not just instructions. They're not things for them to do. He didn't begin this way. He began with the Lord's own display of love and mercy as he set them free from slavery, all right? And, and I'm going to read this to you. This is Exodus chapter 20. And if you're in 20, just look at verse 1 and 2. Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. Here's how the commandments begin. They don't begin with the rhythms and rules. They begin with this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It doesn't begin with what we need to do. What does it begin with? With what he has done. Amen? It does not begin with the works of our relationship. It begins with the love of our relationship. In this passage, I know you, you don't see this here yet, but this word Lord, actually it's four consonants called the te tetragrammaton, which is four consonants that mean I am or I will be what I will be. And maybe you heard this statement when Moses was in the burning bush and Moses asked God, who are you? He just gives him four consonants. That's all it is. It's Y-H-W-H. Uh, I mean, I'm transliterating, but those are just four consonants. You can't even say them in the Hebrew, which is why Jews don't even say the name of God. That's how holy this name is. But here's what he's saying. This word Yahweh means I am. So verse 2, I am the Lord your God. Here's the ultimate statement of sufficiency, self-existence, immediate presence. Now, if you were to ask me, who am I? I say, I'm Omar. I have four kids. I pastor a church. I have great friends. I live my life. I, 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 you know, I drive on Saturdays to practice. I could tell you all these things about my life and, and how my life works. And I'll tell you, it ends with this, and I'm going to die. <laughs> there is an end to my life, right? There is an end to your lives. But here's how God answers the question. Who are you? I just am. I exist. And it is this God, the self-existing God, the God uh, who's not contingent upon anyone else, whose plans are not tethered to anyone else, that says this, I myself have brought you out out of slavery. Slavery was a bad place. You didn't have control over your life. 
You've seen families for centuries, 423 years, wasting away. You are without hope and without freedom. Now, who, who's familiar with the Exodus story? Familiar with, right? You're a little bit familiar with it, right? You know that they suffered. In Exodus 19.4, the Lord says how he delivered them. And I don't know if I have the, the verse here, but it says this. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. The Lord didn't just kind of go, all right, you know what? You're bothering me too much. I'm going to see how I can save you. No, he did it with a tender picture of care and love for his people. An eagle is a very powerful bird with great strength. That's how God is. When, when an eaglet tries to fly and struggles to fly and it begins to fall, you know what an eagle parent does? He flies and he scoops the, the, the young bird and carries them so that they don't fall and die. To be carried as the people of Israel were carried uh, meant that they couldn't rely on anybody else. Their salvation depended upon who? The Lord, not their own works. So God wanted his people to worship him because of this reason. God wanted him to have a relationship with them. And so the Lord brings them out of Egypt to free them to worship him. Matthew Henry, a, a commentator, puts this. Uh, the, the people were brought not uh, into a state uh, the people were brought into a state of covenant and communion with God. God lavished them with a fathom of freedom. Freedom was theirs by the grace of, um, on the, of the unparalleled mercy of God. So here's why I begin with, uh, with a backdrop of love and relationship. Because it is after this picture of God's saving grace that he begins to give them what? The, the rhythms and rules for a new nation. So this is important because as we close the Ten Commandments, I don't want you to leave church and go, that's great. I learned ten ways in which I could really become more holy. That is not the way the gospel works. You're not made holy by what you do. You're made holy by Christ's uh, atoning work and the cross and his love being poured out into us, which allows us to le live these commandments out. So, here, here's, now we're going to enter this commandment. And so in a direct sense, God desires for his people to desire him back, to say, I long for you. I, I want a relationship with you. The first commandment dealt with idolatry, have no other gods before me. And I found it beautiful that the last commandment ends with another part of the heart. Don't long for something else. Nothing, nothing around you, but long for me. That's the ultimate heart of this commandment. At different times, uh, prior to the Exodus, he made it clear that he called them for worship, service, satisfaction, for, uh, satisfaction in him. Now, what, here, here's what they often did. They, they would complain. Often, that God's presence wasn't enough. Being safe from slavery was just not enough to keep them happy. They were dissatisfied and discontent. Jonathan Edwards says this, all earthly desires are but streams, but God is an ocean. If you were to look at all your desires in light of God's freedom, spiritual freedom that he's giving you, these physical desires are temporary. These physical desires that keep you happy for a moment, and then you got to get the new phone, and you got to have the new thing, you will reassess how dissatisfied your heart truly is. 
And so here is where this commandment goes. When we desire people's things, it points to a lack of relationship, this satisfaction and contentment in the fact that God has set you free. The fact that God has set you free is not enough. The fact that God has offered his saving grace to us is good, but I want something more. And so these, this commandment points to the ways in which the attitudes of the heart can become corrupt and dissatisfied when we see things outside ourselves. So look again at Exodus 20. Look at these, um, let's, th- let's say five different things that are sinful, that are pointing out in our hearts that we're going astray. One, our neighbor's home and property. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Why did he say that? Have you ever thought about that? Why did he say that neighbor's house? To desire a man's house, think about it this way, is to desire his security. I mean, I, I don't know what, you know, your uh, uh, ha- vision for housing, dep- whether it is you put 20% down or, or you're regular folk, like 3%, you want to get that 3% thing going. It doesn't matter how you buy the house. When you buy that house, man, it's a very special moment in your life. I think they say whether it is a car or having children or buying a house, one of the three major things that happen in your life. Think about how much you take care of your house. Just think about that. Well, okay, maybe, maybe don't think about that because then you're going to think, I don't, I don't really care about my house. But, but some of you take care of your house in, in every single detail. It's a place where you find peace. You find intimacy. It, it, is, it is a place where a man invests his time. Many times his life's in the ancient world, it was somebody's life savings. At someone's house, you find a person, how they raise their kids, how they lead their home. To build a house took a lot of work in the ancient times, not only financially, but uh, physically. It took years. In Proverbs 24, 27 says that a man is to prepare his land, to take care of his fields. Even his backyard matters. Now, who's here planning the house in the next couple of years, right? Some of you probably, maybe, maybe you're holding off. Maybe you're holding off until the, everything changes. But you know that a house has sentimental value and it has physical value. And here, it actually says, in another translation, says household, your neighbor's household. So it's when, when here the writer is telling us that do not cover your neighbor's house, it's not literally just his physical house. Think about a man's house, everything, his cars, his life, maybe his job, the way he lives his life. Maybe he has an easier life than you, and you be, or she or he. Maybe a hand has been dealt to them. The Lord has done something in them that you just go, well, if only my life was like that, only if I had something like that, that's why I can't get up and I can't do what I need to do. Have you ever heard people like that? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe you heard about people like that because we become what? We're dissatisfied with what we have. And here is our neighbor's property. Looks better. Looks nicer. Is bigger. Is cleaner. And we begin to desire it. But it's not just a house, it's his household. So here, here is how you know you're coveting. Are, you co- are we coveting? Are we longing for uh, domains that, that do not belong to us because we think it's better than what God has poured to us? So that's one. Number two, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife. Now, this on one sense is very clear. To desire a man's wife is to desire a man's marriage. It's not just a wife. It is Maybe you want that type of marriage. You long for that type of life. This breaks the seventh commandment, which Jesus warned in Matthew 5, was adultery in our heart. Coveting is ultimately happens at the heart. How many homes have been destroyed 
because some considered innocent daydreaming. Notice how coveting is comprehensive. Before coveting is acted out, you know where it begins? Right here. Before you see it played out in your life, before, uh, you know, all the things that we say and believe, it first begins in our heart. That's what makes this coveting so powerful. Out of all the commandments, this commandment begins and ends right at the heart. So you have neighbor's home, neighbor's property, neighbor's wife. Then it says neighbor's uh, male or female servant. Now, I've got to give you a little bit about Jewish culture here. Okay, in Jewish culture, if you had servants, you had time to leisure. If you had servants, you know what it meant? You're doing pretty okay because you had servants. They served you. They worked for you. Having servants meant enabled a man and a woman to stroll around the city gates and live at their own pace. Any folks retired in this room? All right. Us younger, don't covet. Don't covet. I know that we see it and we go, oh, man, I just want to chillax for the rest of my life and do nothing and get paid for it. I know, trust me, that's what some of us think. Millennials think, anyway. All right, but, but we can't covet. We see recreational activities that other people do, and we begin to go, oh, I just, I just want to live there. I just want to be there. And if I could only do that, I promise I'll be happy. Uh, I mean, listen, I went, to, and this is what we were just talking about. I went to California about a month ago, and I'm not going to admit that I follow so many Instagram pages that talk about California dreaming. Because California was amazing, and I loved it, and San Diego was incredible. And, and, you know, from time to time, I look, and I scroll, and I heart it, and I look, and I go, man, if, I wonder what it would be like to lead a church there, you know? <laughs> what a life, you know? That's, it, you, that's what it, you begin to daydream. You begin to think that way. All right, I'm opening myself up to you here because, you know, that never happens to you. But, but, but here's the point, that there's coveting in our hearts even by what we see. Facebook. Instagram, seeing somebody's life that looks so amazing, that looks so much better. Their kids look so obedient on camera. Man, man, isn't that beautiful? Honey, we need to get our stuff together, you know, because that's how it is. And then arguments begin to happen. Then division begins to happen. Anger begins to happen. And ultimately, breaking in relationship begins to happen. That's why coveting is so it's so uh, comprehensive because it's not just that you desire something. You begin to act on it. You begin to take steps, 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 hurting people around you until you somehow begin to have that which doesn't exist. Did you know that Instagram is not real? Did you know that? One of the reasons I tell my girls they can't have any of those because I always tell them, it's a lie. That's all I tell them. It's a lie. It's false. It's fake. You know? Anyway, okay. Uh, okay, what else? We have man's donkey. A man's ox, that's another, another uh, thing we're not to covet. Uh, I don't think you have oxes and donkeys here, do you? All right, but, but here's what it expressed. Uh, it expressed a man or a woman's wealth, work, and status. A man in the ancient world was known by the amount of livestock he owned. When prophet Nathan, when, when uh, David was caught in adultery, uh, prophet Nathan came to David and he called him out in his sin. And he used a little lamb as an illustration to say, a poor man has a little lamb, a rich man has more than that. Do you covet someone's wealth and money? Do you covet somebody's success, somebody's hand that God has given them much more than what God has given you? And, and this is how it ends. This is verse 20 again. The very last part of this passage, anything that belongs to your neighbor, 
Okay, do you need anything clearer? I mean, is the Bible not clear here this morning? Anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, I want you to, I was thinking about this. Think about it this way. The commandments begin with do not do, right? Do not do, do not do. Then what does commandment nine say? Do not even speak, right? What does commandment say? Don't even think about it. Like the commandments are so extensive about our just pr- uh, uh, propensity to, to do things, to uh, say things, and to think of things because our hearts are covetous. I believe that at the end of the commandments, what lies there is what Jesus said, that everything out of the heart, everything evil is actually coming out of our heart, including covetousness, covetousness. Now, here's what's um, fascinating about these commandments that you can see, and think about it this way, all the commandments, you can see them done. You can see when those, physically you can see them, but this commandment you can't see. You don't know if you're keeping it or not. No one can hold you accountable because no one can see your heart. This is true of all the commandments, but, but this commandment in particular begins here and it makes its way out there. So here's a question for us this morning. As we just have seen what, what these kind of four or five ways are trying to deal with our hearts, what do you long for, which is what, how we began this morning? What do you want to make you satisfied? What career is it that somebody else has that you want? What perfect family is it that you, that you admire in an unhealthy way in which you want to live your life? What place do you want to live at that say, if I go there, then I I promise I'm going to live for God. I could live for the glory of God. I'll surrender. What thing is keeping you away from simply basking and rejoicing in the grace and mercy that's poured out to us in Christ? This commandment requires us to examine just how ungodly our desires can be. The The gravity of our cravings that are deep in our sinful nature. You know that this morning, um, you have a reason to be satisfied. You have a reason to rejoice. You can listen to many self-help books, network your way up, hustle your way. But if you do it without him, you're going to do it without relationship and value that he has poured out into you from the cross to the grave to the ascension. And so let me give you two, and I think this is... Um, just two ways in which desire affects us. And, and I think, I hope this is helpful to you this morning because I had to do hard work too, okay? I'm with you here. This commandment is hard. This commandment is just because it deals with, the, with this. And, and I'm gonna give you two, two ways I think that this desire affects you and me. And, and I, I put it this way. The, the two reasons why coveting is supercharged. So I began with, we're all covetous people. Let, let's just start at the baseline here. We're all covetous. But there are things that supercharge this Exodus 20, verse 17. And I'm going to give you uh, two of them. And, and I pray that as we, at the end of we pray that you consider coming to the Lord and laying these down. Okay, first, we dwell in past experiences. Okay, think about coveting this way. We covet the past. We covet the past. An illustration of this is go, to, go with me to Exodus 16. Go to Exodus 16 with me. And a perfect example of coveting the past is found in Exodus 16. The people of Israel had been freed from 400 plus years of slavery. The people of Israel were crying out to God, is God even listening? The people of Israel most likely were physically abused, financially abused, traumatized, generation 
after generation after generation. And you know what they began to do when they got hungry in the desert as they were free? They began to dwell on the past, on how things were, how life was. They were no longer slaves, but they were starving. That's what food will do to you. That's how simple coveting works. And look at Exodus 16, verse 3. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. And look at this comparison. There, Egypt, we sat around pots of meat and had all the food we wanted. But you, talking to Moses, who is representative for God, brought us into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Apparently, they were remembering the days when they used to sit around the campfire after, you know, 18 hours of hard slavery labor and eat together. Now, I don't know about you, but isn't freedom better than food, right? Isn't freedom the grace of God, eagle coming in the eagle's wing, God's care setting you free? Isn't that better than the, old, the good old days? They were coveting the past. This displeased the Lord, and it, and, and it was sinful in light of this commandment. He knew the tendency of people to say, yeah, I don't covet actually anything. I just want things to be the way they were, and I want those so bad. I want that back. I want you to notice how coveting distorts reality. The nation of Israel had forgotten, and, and picture this. Okay, let, let's put ourselves in this picture, okay? The nation of Israel had forgotten somehow that the severity of human slavery, which they endured for generations, was actually better than God's freedom because of food, because of food. Now, before we laugh at them and go, these guys are crazy, have we not blinded our hearts to the present blessings of God? the present freedom that we have in Christ, the grace, the love, the poured out mercy of Jesus that washes us whole unto eternity, keeping us until his very return. Has that not been something that we say, yeah, but, yeah, but. Our hearts blinds us that the past is better than the present grace that God has provided. Somebody say amen to that. Brothers and sisters, I, I pray that as we read this commandment together, we come before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be satisfied in you. That the past may seem better, may have felt better. The good old years in that old church may have been better. But God, thank you for what you're doing now. Ungodly desires lessens God's work of effective grace. There are people that say, I want more of God. I want more of God present. I want, I, want to, I want my Bible to just jump out at me. I want more of His, of His, uh, of His intimacy. And then deep in our hearts, you know what we're saying? Yeah, but I'm not really happy with anything. <laughs> our hearts are gripped by things in our lives that we're asking God to free. All right? And coveting, it's like idolatry in our hearts. It's really, if I could say it this way, an extension of the first commandment. It's the, ten com it's the first commandment supercharged. That, you know, that's kind of what I'm going to say. So number one, I think this commandment, is, is the implications is this, that we covet by dwelling in the past. We covet past experiences. And number two, here's another way we, we, we um, supercharge coveting, because we're all covetous people, okay? We, get, we admit to that, is that we make gods out of ideals. And, and I, I struggle with this, okay? We make gods out of ideals. What is an ideal? 
An ideal is a picture of something in the future that you find perfect and satisfying, okay? But we, it's okay to see that. It's okay to, you know, I want to retire. I want to take care of my kids. That's fine. But that vision that you have will never be perfect in a sinful world. That vision will never find its base and never move from it because you live in a place of sinful people. I grew up personally with several ideals. Work hard, and you get rewarded for it. Work harder than anybody else, and you'll get rewarded for it. Another ideal, family is everything. Blood is thicker than water. You don't disrespect family. I mean, those are ideals that I grew up in. So what happens? You begin to work really hard, more hours than anybody else. Then you find out that doesn't really mean you get paid more, <laughs> Right? And what do you do? You begin to covet other people. And, you, and that's, your, that's just your ideal. That's how you're going to get it going. That's perfection. You begin to supercharge your coveting by seeing somebody else's future. What happens? Family hurts you. Family is everything. Well, family backstabs you. Family is jealous. Family is not really there when you want it. So, so all those ideals break down as you begin to live your life. Ideals that you have be cautious because you can make them idols and ultimately you put your desires on them and you give your life to them more than anything else what if the present was where god has actually placed the most blessing in your life what if the present now is where actually god is ready to pour out more of his grace to you more knowledge of jesus more of his presence more hope in him and not your neighbor's stuff what if that was what God was doing? All right? All right, so, so again, I want you to leave with this two things. is dwelling in the past, coveting the past, and supercharging your um, coveting by making God out of ideals. So let me, let me close here this morning. How do we keep this commandment, okay? Where to walk this out. And I'm going to give you the most, uh, what's the word? Uncreative, um, <laughs> uncreative application to this text. Uh, or most biblical, but yet... I could, you know, when you have the Bible, you can't, you try to make it nice and stuff, but then you go, the Bible speaks for itself, right? The Bible is just as powerful. And here's what the Bible tells you. You ready? Be content. <laughs> that is the application of the scriptures. I had this whole sentence played out for you, but it wasn't as good as be content, because that's what Paul says. Go to Philippians 4. Go to Philippians 4, and, and, and we're going to draw this out a little bit more before we close, but I think this is really the, the, the breadth and depth of what this commandment is drawing us to. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 and 13. Verse 11 and 13. Okay, here's Paul. Jailed, beaten, um, rejected, almost thrown off a mountain. Um, many people thought he, he had an ailment, physical ailment. Physical ailment. So this is Paul, and here's what he says. I have learned... To be content, whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things of him who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 is, Philippians 11 through 13 is not just verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That doesn't mean you're going to get a job, all right? 
that doesn't mean that you're going to get out of the hole that you created. You created that hole. You're not getting out of it. All right? What is, how does Paul begin this, this, uh, this passage here? He says this, I have learned to be content. Learning, uh, contentment is not something that is given to you. You're not just, you're not going to leave here this, mo- uh, this morning and go, okay, I'm going to be content. Because pastor said that and I'm just going to try real hard. Paul had to learn it. Your life experiences are schools for learning contentment. Maybe in, in your journey, you're not learning. You're just living. You're complaining. You're saying, I don't have it. Once I have that, you're wasting time. God wants to provide contentment through learning. Are you learning contentment? Have you learned contentment like Paul said? Actually, earlier in Philippians 4.4, he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, and it, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Brothers and sisters, for Paul, the secret was, was, the, was united to his union of Christ, relationship with him. You can do all things to Christ who strengthens you, yes, after you've learned the ways of contentment. Because not always are you going to get what you wanted. A dissatisfied heart, a satisfied heart in other things is a dissatisfied heart in the grace of our Redeemer. For you to find satisfaction in these other things means that God in His uh, poured out grace onto us is not enough. And that's a much severe problem. Because the fact that Jesus is here in this room calling us to Himself and saying, I have what you need here this morning is far greater than purchasing a new car and a house. Here's why, because he wants you. He wants you, and he wants you to want him. He doesn't want you to want things, and then you want him. You guys know that that's how it works, right? God blesses you with something, then you go, oh, God's so good, let me pray. That's not the way relationship works, friends. It works the other way. The Ten Commandment is closing here by showing us that we're ultimately covetous. We're broken people who run towards things. But God wants to turn you and me into God-glorifying people. That the blessings may come, may not, but that doesn't matter. Our satisfaction and contentment is in Him. And let me finish one more passage, Philippians 2. And I want you to see the life of Jesus. Because our Savior could have coveted. Our Savior was the King of the universe, sustained the world. And this is how Philippians describes our Lord. Talking about Jesus here. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Genesis 1 through 3, we go there often, but this is important. Adam and Eve in the garden, what did the, ser- what did the serpent do? Here, here's this forbidden fruit that you could have. And the Bible, actually, uh, Genesis 3 actually says that the woman desired, coveted the fruit. The first sin that made man fall, you know what it was? coveting coveting they coveted the power that god had jesus the better adam what does he do with the power of god what does he do what, what does philippians say 
He did not consider equality with God something to be what? Used. Think about it. Here's Adam and Eve. The power is given to them. They take it for themselves. Here's the new Adam with the power that belongs to him. And what does he do? He puts it down. He, he doesn't take advantage of it. Instead, what does he do? He gives it to you. He gives it to his people so that we can fight sin. He pours out the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God into our lives. He takes nothing to himself, but he rather takes your form and my form. He humbles himself. Jesus did not covet, did not come to, get, to, to take and to take, but he came to give and to give and to give to covetous people. To walk in contentment is to fight against the supercharging ways that covenant works, but to walk in contentment also means walking in humility and shedding of ourselves and embracing his life over our own. This morning, you can, you can be free from coveting if we become people who long and desire an experience with Christ. We have Christ as our all in all. So here's how I'm going to end as I call Maggie up to help us with closing this morning and we sing this out. What are the longings in your heart that still have you bound? What is the food that you long for that has you stuck looking at the past, looking at the future, and forgetting the present grace given to you by Christ Jesus. Amen? Would you stand with me as we worship? We're going to sing this song together. Let me, um, as we get ready here, let me just pray. Ask the Lord to open hearts this morning. And I do have Michael here. Maybe, Michael, could you stand on the side? If anybody needs prayer, I'm going to have Michael here um, open. Prayer is really a way in which we can connect with the Lord and have him speak to us. Let me pray. Father, um, <clears throat> we come before you this morning.